Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Debit card users, listen up. You've worked hard for your money. Now it's time to make it work even harder for you. With Discover Cashback Debit, everyone can get cash back on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Earn on things like gas, groceries, and even that midday latte. And to top it off, there are no fees, period. Yep, that means you won't be charged fees on your checking account. Transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank. Member FDIC. My very first talk I ever went out and gave, because that's how I grew my business back in 97, I was a 4-H kid. And 4-H is agricultural Boy Scouts to anyone who doesn't know what that means. Yeah. And part of 4-H was you always did a speaking competition. And I got into 4-H at the age of 10. And I was just a natural speaker. I was always at home on stage. And so it was the only thing I knew how to do to go market this business because I was not good at marketing. I talked about what I called the triune athlete, the mentally, emotionally, and physically tough athlete, that when you align all three of those things together, that's when all of the capabilities of that athlete will come out onto that field of play or that ice or whatever. And so that kind of Fisher-Price analogy is I'm trying to just align these things. And I don't know if one small little action will change someone's life. I don't know if one major action is what some people need. If someone like that example that you gave has been living inside of something for a very long time, then I think for many of those people, they need a very big movement. Hi, I'm Rachel Hollis, and this is my podcast. I spend so many hours of every single week reading and listening to podcasts and watching YouTube videos and trying to find out as much as I can about the world around me. And that's what we do on this show. We talk about everything, life and how to be an entrepreneur. What happened to dinosaurs? What's the best recipe for fried chicken? What's the best plan for intermittent fasting? What's going on with our inner child? How's therapy working out for you? Whatever it is my guests are into, I want to unpack it so that we can all understand. These are conversations. This is information for the curious. This is the Rachel Hollis Podcast. I discovered your book probably the day before I emailed you. I had seen you quoted somewhere, and Mm -hmm. the quote was so good that I was like, who is this guy? Yeah. And then I immediately start looking. And as soon as I see, okay, someone said a great quote and they have a book, I'm getting the book because I want to see, like, does this go further? Yeah. And then I 
devoured it. Like, I think I read a chapter and I was like, I got to get this guy on the show. Yeah. And then, you know, figured it out myself, DM'd you, found it on the website, like went all the different routes. Yeah. Because it's so in line, number one, with something I know the audience is really going to benefit from. Mm -hmm. Because this idea of imposter syndrome and like, how dare I have a dream this big is so prevalent within my community. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, it's like you say in the book where you're talking about these athletes that you will say like, oh, I talk about alter ego and they'll be like, oh yeah, that's what I do. So in reading the book, I'm like, oh, that's what I do. This is gonna, we're gonna explain this fully, but- Do you wanna get it, do you wanna not say it now? No, I I wanna get into it because I think it's like, it's not totally gonna make sense to everybody. Yeah. But the woman who gets on stage to speak to 20,000 people is not the same woman that's sitting here right now. And she shouldn't be. Yeah, two completely different human beings. Yeah. So let's unpack that. I'm so excited. Yeah. And I'm sure you already know it, but like the best angle of attack, the way to get into this too. So do you know Shane Parrish? Mm -mm. He runs the Farnham Street blog. So like Farnham Street is the street that Berkshire Hathaway is on. Okay. He's got a massive audience, especially. It's funny because I did a post about it on Twitter. I'm like, I just booked two podcasts. Couldn't be with two massively different audiences, Rachel Hollis and Shane Parrish. And people were like, Oh my God. I'm like, that's what I love about the alter ego concept is it unites me and has allowed me, allows me to go and play in so many different fields. So many fields. Cause I've done YPO events and billionaires in the room come up afterwards and say like, I, I need one as a parent. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, I know you do. Yeah. Cause you're already crushing business, yeah. man. Yeah. But you're probably not crushing home life and right. it's not a judgment. Right. It's, that's a natural thing. Yeah. And then, you know, then you got moms or, you know, female entrepreneurs and they really struggle with that dual identity of wanting to be great at two different things and social and cultural gets in the way. Right. So yeah, I'm pumped. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we're in the show. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry that I, I mean, we can do an official This is the lead in part, everybody. Uh, Yeah, it is. I'm going to break the fourth wall. Uh, No, we always, yeah, (laughs) sorry. I didn't, we just started chatting and I got excited and um, I do a very bad job of it. That's the best. I wish, because I mean, there's so many times where I'm bantering with someone before they click it's, the record button and I'm like, oh, right. I don't it's think I'm going to say it as good as I just said it. Exactly. That's yeah. the thing. So we've learned that as soon as someone walks in the room, you want to start recording. And obviously we edit out yeah, anything yeah. you don't want included. But then also at the end ends up being the juiciest bits. There's something about me closing a conversation that people just like, oh, their yeah. shoulders drop and then they show up as their authentic self. So Rachel, it's funny because it maps to performance in general. So in the, in the world of hockey or like the NHL, the uh, the large majority of goals are scored in the first few minutes of a period and the first and the last few minutes of a period, the beginnings and the endings. Interesting. So like, if you think of just most things in life, it's the bookends that make a big difference. Okay. You know, when you meet someone for the first time, if they don't get a good impression of you, they might change their impression of you, but it takes a lot longer for them to do that by the end. Right. Not surprising that your best bits always come yeah. from beginnings of things yeah. and endings of things. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess then like let's be official and explain to the audience who you are and what you do. Because sure. we're going to have a pretty deep conversation today that I think is going to blow a lot of people's minds. And I just want to establish some expertise before you are yeah. like, here's what you need to do. Well, first thing I'll establish is the lack of expertise on a couple of <laughs> Well, first thing is, is identify as two major things. I am a farm boy from a small, very small town in Western Canada, in Alberta, Canada, and I'm a New Yorker. 
Like uh, I grew up in the middle of nowhere wanting to be somewhere because yeah. I'm an extrovert, very gregarious. Like, And then I ended up, you know, managing to get to New York City to kind of like my professional world. In 1997, I accidentally fell into starting a little coaching business, working with young athletes on the mental game. It was my strength as I played college football. I was a nationally ranked badminton player. I'm not physically gifted. I'm not six foot four and 245 pounds. So I never had that, but I was, I was good with my mental game. And I think someone was born out of the fact that I was the third boy and I had two older brothers who could beat the snot out of me yeah. if they wanted to. So I kind of did psychological warfare on them. I got into the mindset stuff because I got kicked out of a volleyball game when I was 14 for punching a guy through the net because he tried to kick me in the you know, Junk. nether region yeah. a couple of times. And I took exception to that. And apparently fighting in volleyball isn't a popular thing. Yeah. So I got booted from the tournament. And my coach, who was my first great mentor, Grant Henderson, gave me a task to go pick up this one book at the library. And it was a terrible book about leadership. But it, he did talk about mindset stuff. So I was like, oh, what's this? Yeah. So I fell down this rabbit hole and it became my strength. And then when I was volunteering at a high school, coaching the defensive backs, I spent way more time working with them on their mental game. And then parents started asking me to mentor their sons and daughters. And the peak athlete was born out of that. So I was very much an accidental entrepreneur, but I was very good at coaching. And I sort of, and this is before coaching was an industry like it is yeah. now. Like there was nobody, especially mental game to young teenagers. Right. And I ended up growing this thing to being the largest peak performance and mental game coaching company in the world. I sold it to Real Madrid through that span of time, in 2014, through that span of time, I worked with Kobe Bryant, building the Black Mamba, and I fell into understanding that at the highest level, the best athletes were using identity. They would say things like, I've got this persona that I take out onto the court or the field or the swimming pool. I have this I, a secret identity. I have this alter ego. I have this character that I step into. They'd use all these different words. And for me, I was like, oh, wait, I did the exact same thing. When I played football, I had this alter ego named Geronimo. And then when I got into business, I was so insecure about how young I looked. I wasn't confident. I wasn't decisive. I was good at coaching, but I was terrible at selling my business and selling what I did because here I am selling Todd. So I built Super Richard, who was who I hired to be the advocate for Todd's stuff, which we need to get into, specifically that wording that I share with people. I created this you know, great business. And so I've been in this space for a really, really long time. And human transformation and I love it. And that's a bit about me. And, and I wrote the book, The Alter Ego Effect, kind yeah. of documenting the science and the stories and some of the clients that I've worked with and helping people to use this as a tool to help them transform themselves far more quickly. Because when you use identity as your tool to transform, you're going to skate past a lot of the internal resistance within that stops a lot of people from saying, yeah, but who am I to go and do that? Right. I guess that's where I'd love to start is why do people hesitate? Why do you even need an alter ego in the first place? It sounds so funny to even say those words, yeah. but it is my truth. It's like everybody I know who does similar things or has to perform in any way would tell you the same thing. One of Beyonce's biggest fans on the planet. So yeah. I knew about, like, as soon as you started telling the story in the book, I was like, Beyonce, obviously. Yes. We're about to talk about Sasha Fierce. So it's just something I've seen play out in business and media over and over again. Yeah, I guess let's just start with, what is the type of person listening to this show right now who doesn't understand that this is a tool? They have a dream, they have a goal, but they're terrified or they think like, I could never, that's for a different kind of person. Totally. Like, where does all that stuff come from? The first thing you had said was, 
why does everyone need to have this? A, not everyone needs to have an alter ego. I'm not one of those people who comes out and says, no, everyone has to. No, I look at this as I'm trying to offer people a really powerful tool to put inside of your tool belt of change and transformation that you're going to need if you want to aspire to, to pursue some of your ambitions. And they might be ambitions that no one in your family has ever done before. So you don't have a great model in your own mind of what that could look like. I want to say that to just relax people into like, I'm not going to convince you. Right. But I'm going to share with you like just some of the really more powerful ways that this helps to transform things for you more easily and also how it's actually mapping to so much of how our brain actually works anyway. And some of our core superpowers, which is our creative imagination, I think is one of our core superpowers as a human being. 100%. And when you tap into your creative imagination, it is, I feel like through my experience of now 19,000 hours plus of just one-on-one coaching and not with people that are just struggling in life. I'm talking the elite of the elite. And this is a very common thing and tool that they will use that's different. And that's just the one-on-one work, working with people. But when you tap into this, it, it helps to skate by, let's just call it the resistance within. Whether it's fear, uh, we had talked about imposter syndrome before, which I want to get into because that's actually not its technical term. Mm. It's just that social media has really sort of brought that thing to the surface. And it actually, I did a post about this not too long ago, showing you the Google search trends of imposter syndrome. And it spiked in 2010. What happened in 2010? Instagram came around, mm. where we now had these polished lives that with this veneer. And then I want, we wonder why people felt like they might've been feeling like imposters. Not everyone has to use that. And I say it just because, just relax into the conversation and then take from it what you what you want. But if you do, I'm telling you, it is a massive cheat code yeah. to making change happen yeah. more freely. And it's the cheat code, I feel, of getting more and more into the center of your truth as a human being, mm. which is our ability to have many qualities, many traits within us. It's just that we develop this hard exterior of an identity that we bake into ourselves saying, oh, I'm an introvert. And we argue for them. I'm like, I know that not any human on the planet is 100% introvert. Yeah. It can't be true. Yeah. <laughs> my, my, my wife publicly would be more introverted. Yeah. But when she's around her three other sisters, introvert isn't the word I would ever use. Right. The transition points that we have as human beings, that's one great vehicle and way of going and getting into alter egos. We're all trying to make change. We're trying to make a transition. And typically when you're trying to make a transition, there has to be some sort of an ego death that happens. The story that you tell yourself about who can go and do the next thing will a lot of times be limited by the story you're telling about yourself about who you are right now. Preach. And so the alter ego method that I talk about in the book just simply gives you a really great model and way of transforming yourself and building a new vision of what you're trying to become inspired by the model or identity or character traits of someone or something else. Yeah, I think that's a lesson that took me a long time to learn, that as much as I am the amalgamation of every age I've ever been and all the things that I've lived through, if you truly want to level up in any area of your life, the part of you that got you here mm-hmm. There, there's a piece of that that has to pass away. Yeah, I saw something the other day that said, it was talking about when someone goes through something really difficult, when you go through grief or loss or pain or trauma, that the part of you that like survived that 
will carry on believing that they're still needing to survive that long after it's passed. Unless you are very conscious of understanding that you have to honor the piece of you that was able to get through the battle, that mm -hmm. was able to survive the war, but that warrior can lay down his sword, her sword, it's no longer necessary for who you are now. Yeah. But we will keep telling ourselves these stories. I was just, I'm on tour right now for the podcast and I was just in, I wanna say it was in Nashville, and this woman had had a panic attack on her third day of a job and ended up needing to quit the job and took a couple of years, had, had basically a, a, a breakdown, had to get a lot of psychiatric help and really fought yeah. to get back to where she is now, to where she has now been offered this fantastic new job. Like she's I was like, there's a 0% chance you got offered that job if you're not a badass. There's no way. Yeah, yeah. And she is drowning in anxiety that what happened last time is going to happen again. And I was like, this is the exact example of someone who is still living as the person they were three years ago. I am taking my four children away this weekend to go skiing. And I think if you're a parent like me, you understand how important it is to have a kitchen available to you when you have four kids, which is why Airbnb is always the place that I head to just make the vacation easier. And I have always used Airbnb as a place to stay, whether it was for work or family or a girl's weekend. But more and more, my friends are using Airbnb in a totally different way as a business, as a way to invest in property and earn money for it. While you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and it's a great way to earn some extra money. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash hosting. Almost every morning of my life, I have oatmeal. Seriously, during the winter, having something hot in the morning really makes a big difference in my day. Quaker has been a trusted name in oatmeal for over 145 years, which means they've been milling oats since before the invention of the zipper, the stop sign, or ballpoint pens. Quaker has something for everyone, whether it's old-fashioned or quick oats, that are good for cooking or baking. And while a ton of things have changed, the good stuff remains the same. Quaker, getting up to some good since 1877. Look for Quaker Oats at your local grocery store. Guys, no two listeners of the show are exactly alike, which means that no two vacations you take are going to be exactly alike either. And if you're looking for a place that will serve all of you, Texas has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities that allow for an infinite number of different travel experiences. I love Texas so much, I moved my family there for five years. Because here's the deal. Texas has it all. Are you a beach person? We got you. If you love a rugged vacation, not my jam, but there's plenty of campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. My favorite part about Texas? 
the food. It is the thing I miss the absolute most. Whether you love barbecue or Tex-Mex or just want to be in cities that take their food very seriously. You can enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. Can you talk about ego death? And yeah. is that something that naturally happens or do we choose that the ego in one particular area needs to go? Well, this is the power of sort of the methodology that I try to give to people and is anything in life where you get to go and choose the intention behind why the change is going to be happening is now something that you're owning yeah. the change yourself. And you're not feeling like you're forced into it by some sort of outside pressure. I talk about it in chapter three of the book when I you know, talk about the trapped self versus the heroic self. Mm -hmm. And in the world of both of those individuals or their experience, the world isn't any less difficult or challenging. You're both, you're going to get challenges no matter what. But the trapped self feels like the trapped self. And again, this is even the language of the clients. They'll use the word, I feel like I'm trapped right now by X or I'm stuck or something like that. Is that it's an outside in approach. It's that you feel like you're showing up in the world to appease someone else or to please someone else or because you think that that's what they want you to do. Mm -hmm. And that outside social pressure can make you feel trapped because you're like, there's some qualities within me that's not getting out onto that field of play. I'll give you an example. It's like, Rachel, if you're in a, a meeting and you're a good friend and you come together and you're gonna, you got this like idea for a product and you're meeting with some different venture capitalists or some investors and someone gives a slighting comment towards your friend and you're like, oh, like what's, but you didn't say anything in the moment. That's an example of feeling trapped that defied your values, your morals, mm. your ethics, and you didn't say something in that moment. That's what a trapped experience feels like. And then at the end of the, you, three hours later, you're like, you beat yourself up because you didn't do it. The heroic self, on the other hand, shows up in the world very sure of who and what they want to show up with. And whether someone loves it, adores it, doesn't like it, that's on them to appreciate. If you're not showing up in the world, I don't go show up in the world to like actively try and be a jerk to other people. Right. That's not the way that I am. Right. But if I'm speaking uh, an absolute values-based truth for me and someone doesn't appreciate it, well, that's yeah. your therapy, not mine. Right. Well, and it's like, I'd rather show up as myself and not regret it later yes. than try and people please to yeah. get you to, to like me in this moment. I mean, you're talking about venture capitalists, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of my audience and I'm imagining how many hundreds of thousands of women, particularly right now, are thinking about their mother-in-law. Mm. They're thinking about the last family event where she said the thing, you know, you say that you're going to put these boundaries in place yeah. and that you don't want her to say stuff like that in front of your kids, or you don't want her to do these things. But then in that moment, you say nothing. Yeah. And it's worse than if you would have actually stood up for yourself or had some kind of tension between the two of you because not only did you not keep the promise to yourself, but maybe you did it in front of your kids. Exactly. Or if someone doesn't have just one example of that trapped self, but they've got decades, mm -hmm. 
you know, they're feeling like so downtrodden. Like what is like, what's the life preserver we can throw them? Like what's an idea that they, is it, hey, you take one little step, you do one thing, or is it like, no, you go bananas in another direction. All, all of the above. Okay. It, yeah. It's, it's, hey, one, one small step can topple just a tiny domino that hits a big one and it could be tomorrow. So like, that's the, my experience of seeing people transform and change is I can't put a time limit on things. I've seen people transform in a moment. Like mm -hmm. I can literally see their physical body yes. make a shift. Same. It's it's like, you know, when you've got the small little Fisher Price thing, it's that, it's that uh, toy where you've got the different rings and you stack yeah. them on top of the thing. Yeah. That's how I look at helping human beings. Mm. I'm like, cause I'm thinking about alignment. My my very first talk I ever went out and gave, because that's how I grew my business back in 97, I was a 4-H kid. And 4-H is agricultural Boy Scouts to anyone who doesn't know what that yeah. means. Yeah. And part of 4-H was you always did a speaking competition. And I got into 4-H at the age of 10 and I was just a natural speaker. I was yeah. always at home on stage. And so it was the only thing I knew how to do to go market this business because I was not good at marketing. I talked about what I called the triune athlete, the mentally, emotionally, and physically tough athlete, that when you align all three of those things together, that's when all of the capabilities of that athlete will come out onto that field of play or that ice or whatever. And so that kind of Fisher-Price analogy is I'm trying to just align these things. And I don't know if one small little action will change someone's life. I don't know if one major action is what some people need. If someone like that example that you gave has been living inside of something for a very long time, then I think for many of those people, they need a very big movement. Mm -hmm. They I need, agree. it's like, it's like massively opening up the right. arms right. and throwing off this heavy cloak that's there. Yes. And it's the demand to myself that no more. Right. In the book, I talk about the ground punch. And the ground punch is this response proclamation that you give to yourself, that you create in that moment when the little enemy within, it could be your ego or it could be just that voice that's, you know, in the tone of the mother-in-law, your dad, your mother, your a teacher that told you that you were no good or a bully or something like that says to like, who are you? Yeah. Who are you to think that you could have the same thing as Rachel? Right. Rachel only did it right. because she had this and this and this. Right. And these are wonderful stories that we tell about other people because the grass is greener always on the other side of the fence. Yep. Well, if that's true, I'm simply leveraging that in the method that I give people for developing an identity in an alter ego. That's why the alter ego works so well. Because I can see Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds on the Today Show being super fun, gregarious, outgoing, like great interviews. But could Todd, because Todd wears glasses and he's a little bit more serious and he yeah. likes talking about the cerebral side of things. And so this was my wife coaching me when I went on the Today Show. She's like, you know, you've done all these interviews, but like that really fun side of Todd doesn't come out as much. Yeah. So I changed my dress. I talk about like the way that you use clothing and artifacts and mm -hmm. tools like that to help you show up in a different way. And Hugh Jackman and Ryan Reynolds became the model, the alter ego for me for how I was going to show up on that interview. And it was a beyond successful interview yeah. for me. I dressed differently, but they were, my, and so I watched how Hugh Jackman was in interviews and I watched how Ryan Reynolds were. I sat like them, I practiced it. Yeah. And now that's a very natural part of how I've now progressed. I now have a new tool and way of showing up. And that's the fun part of this, Rachel, is you start to break down every single paradigm you think about what it is to be authentic with who you are. Mm -hmm. What you come to realize is authenticity is like a constantly evolving thing. Yes. And so long as you're the driver of that, right. 
you're going to feel very good about the way that you show up in the world. So yes, big actions for some people who might be trapped for a very long time. It's so funny that you say that because I have been on tour this summer and one of the central themes in what I'm talking about is this truth that I have discovered in my life, which is if you want to make not just change, but lasting change, one thing I know to be true is that if you do something you did not believe you were capable of doing, it will forever change the way you see yourself. So my very first example of that was running a marathon. I never in my life, I was not an athlete. I don't run. I hate running. I was 50 pounds heavier than I am today. I couldn't walk a mile, let alone run one. All the BS we tell ourselves. And then like a million other people who have this story, I just tried, right? I did the 5K, then I did the half, then I did the full. And the amount of times in my life, I mean, it's got to be, I guess my son's 11, so it's probably a decade since I ran my first marathon. In the last 10 years, how many times I've gone back to that moment of crossing the finish line Mm. of like, if you can do that, you can do anything. But the biggest change that happened that day was that I saw myself differently. And I couldn't ever go back to the like out of shape, hating her body, you know, I'm not an athlete. Like all those stories I told myself immediately evaporated. They were no longer true. When I first got a tattoo, I know it sounds simple and silly, but like getting a tattoo was huge for me because I was like, oh, I'm the kind of person who gets tattoos now. I went swimming with sharks. I jumped out of an airplane. Every time I do this, I've climbed mountains. Mm -hmm. Every time I do something, that someone like me doesn't do, it changes something fundamental in me. And I don't know if this is true for everyone, but I've been telling women all over the country all summer long, I'm like, do anything. Go hit on a guy in a bar tonight if you're single. Go hit on a guy in a bar tonight. Go get a tattoo. Sign up for a 5K. Like, Do the thing you don't think you can do to show yourself that who you are is a creation of your own mind. Mm-hmm. And if you understand that you control that, you freaking control everything. To me, being healthy is really grounded in nutrition. Honestly, what I eat and what my kids eat is super important to how we live our lives. It's why I love a company like Thrive Market. Because Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories. So when I go online and I use their on-site filters, I can figure out exactly my lifestyle needs and trust that what I'm getting from Thrive Market is what I want to take into my body. When you join Thrive Market, you're also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. You can join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash rach for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash rach thrivemarket.com slash rach this episode is brought to you by progressive 
where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. I mean, that's the story that so many people would tell that have been making transformations throughout their life. And the great thing is, is every single listener to this has a similar story. You might not have finished a marathon or a 10K or climbed a mountain or swam with a shark. That's just the circumstance. But there's many examples in your life of you moving through difficult things. And I know that to be true because life is hard. Yeah. Life is challenging and you're listening to this podcast right right now. So a a very practical exercise that I give people to get people to do. I have this uh, jar on my desk. And if we were doing this podcast over Zoom, I would be holding it up right now. And it has a whole stack of poker chips inside of it. I call them confidence chips. Even to clients, I send them a stack of confidence chips. Okay. And where it came as an inspiration from was I was reading the uh, biography of the CEO of Levi's. And this is like two decades ago. And in the book, he was talking about the moment that they were going to go going into China as a market. And he was terrified. He's like, I'm betting the entire company on this. Is this going to even work? This is a lot of money. Are they going to even want the Levi's brand there? The jeans, do they even wear jeans there? We've done our due diligence, but we, like, uh, and he's like, everything just created doubt, more doubt the days of showing up in my office became more and more heavy. I was so insecure and worried. And he has this journal on his desk that he used as a practice decades earlier where he broke his life down into three-year increments, zero to two, three to five, six to eight, and on and on through. And he went through each different phase of his life and he captured all of the wins all the skills that he built. What did I learn in that age gap? When you think about like zero to two, you learn how to like Everything, crawl like right. so much, right? You learned how to walk, how to crawl, how to maybe eat, hold a fork, you know, say mom, say dad, whatever it is. And then you keep on going through and you're, and if you're really deliberate with it, you're going to have this huge stack of things that you've achieved. And what we do is we dismiss it. We're like, yeah, but everyone else did that. Yeah, but you did it your unique way. But you build all these things up. And once you start to get into like six and seven and eight, you're now doing things a little bit differently than other people. You might have started to learn to play the piano, or maybe you learned how to use your voice differently and you could sing well and, and stuff. And the point is, is that we as human beings have negativity bias and we dismiss things, right? Rachel, you put out so much content and the intent behind it is to hopefully inspire people and motivate them and get them to take their actions and lead a, a life that's fulfilling for them. But there'll always be a few people who leave a few negative comments. Oh, sure. And out of the hundred positive ones, it's that uh, one right there. Absolutely. Like, how could you not see that my intent was like a positive yeah. one, right? Yeah. And so negativity bias, we as human beings, we find those things, but it's just a part of the development of us as human beings. It's to protect us against the saber-toothed tiger that's hiding in the bushes. Right. And all of a sudden a little bunny hops out instead right? We're like, why was I so worried about a little bunny? So those confidence chips are there to bring us back to 
the fact that, no, you've done a lot of things. You have capabilities, you have skills, you've got attributes, you've got traits, you've got things that you're good at. You're kind, you actually don't treat people a certain you know, typical yeah. way or whatever. And I wanna stack these things up in front of people on their poker table of their life so they can play life a little bit more big. That even if you're dealt a hand that isn't all that great, that person's got two aces. Yeah. Or you think they've got two aces because they're playing so big or maybe they're just playing with a lot of confidence and they got a two and a seven. Right. I say that because that is a very practical way for people right now that you can end the podcast or, you know, put pause or maybe just wait till the end because <laughs> who knows if you'll come back to it to just do a, a positive act and stack some things in front of you. Yeah. And maybe when you do that, you can start to take a small action or a big action. Yeah. Another way that we've approached this at conferences in the past is I've had attendees write a letter to themselves yeah. from their tenacity, from the part of them that never gave up. Yeah, It's something like, you know, dear Todd, I'm your tenacity and this is what I want you to know. Mm -hmm. You know, I was the one who got you through college. I was the one that stayed up with that crying baby with colic all night long. Yeah. I was the one who moved away from home and da da da. And it's the most incredible moment because you have thousands of women in the audience writing these letters to themselves and just sobbing mm -hmm. almost exclusively because they don't ever give themselves credit. Yeah, They've never consciously thought about all that they have lived through, how hard it was, how much they've pushed, how they did the things that they didn't think they could do. We're just so freaking hard on ourselves that we never realize that we have all those poker chips. Yeah. Taking a moment, whether it's your method or mine or another, to just acknowledge what you have done yeah. and what you have accomplished even in the last six months. Yeah. What have I done that makes it more possible for this dream to happen to me or this goal to come to fruition? Like, Let's stack those things before we take on the next task, because then you're operating like at the vibration of someone who's like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. I got this. Yeah, and another tip with that is language plays such a big part in my world in giving people like maybe better tools and ways of sort of navigating their lives. And we, and we get trapped by some of our vocabulary yeah. and the way that we talk about even ourselves. In my own head, I've retrained my brain over the last couple of decades. I actually refer to myself in the third person. Mm. So Todd yeah. does this. Yeah. He does this. Right. Or if it was the alter ego, Super Richard does that. Right. And it's that, I talk about in the book, the power of disassociation. Mm -hmm. So there's disassociated personality disorder or whatever. Right. But that's when the, that is controlling you. Yes. When you use disassociation, again, it's all about like, I'm trying to put your hand on the steering right. wheel of your intention right. about what, what's like why you're doing something. And so that disassociation helps you in now removing yourself from the narrative of what you think you can and yes. cannot do. Multiple studies have been done on the fact that when someone refers to themselves in the third person, they will create a higher percentage of personal bests in competitions. Mm. So if someone's running a marathon and they're saying like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. And another person's saying, Rachel can do this, Rachel can do this, watch Rachel, watch mm. what she's doing. Like watch her, oh, she's gonna be, this is the hard, this is the hard part, but watch how she breaks through. That's Those people cool. will create more personal best. And so that's part of like the, the, the tools that I try to give people is think of yourself that way. And now all of a sudden you're moving into an observer. Yeah. And for me, as someone who's been trying to help people get into flow state and that peak performance state or the zone, that third person narrative self-talk 
helps to create that because the often in common experience of people who experience flow state will say is it's like I was like an out-of-body experience and I was watching myself. Well, if that's the truth, I'm going to try and create bridges for people to get into the observer state yeah. as quickly as I possibly can. It's also just from a mindfulness, if you're someone who meditates, if you're into the idea of mindfulness, now I'm going to sound maybe super wild to some of the listeners, but it really is, <laughs> there's like, who I believe that I am. Mm -hmm. And when I'm centered and grounded and in meditation or in prayer, I understand that who I actually am is like, she's, it's in here. Yeah. It's not the Instagram, the hair, the nails, yeah. the kids, this house, working with, it's none of, it's like a, you're this conscious being made of like stardust and yeah, sure. magic yeah. and whatever. But learning to separate that, learning to separate my thoughts and go, oh, this is okay. Yeah. I see that anxious thought. Yeah. I see that self doubt. I see that has been massive for me over the last few years. Yeah. And it, to me, the third person thing, I've never heard that, but that aligns so much with the idea of like, I think it also, like, there's something about it that makes me feel like I would feel more proud. Yeah. Like, yeah, she is a badass. Yes. She does do those things. She keeps trying. She keeps standing up. She keeps going again. Like, that's that's a really cool hack. So I'll give you another one. Yeah, then. give me all the hacks. I want all the hacks. <laughs> so I know that a lot of people who follow you are also in the services world, right? Like they help their helpers, they yeah. help other people. I did this uh, about 17 years ago when I started to finally see that one of the powers of the alter ego and the method or working people on identity is that disassociative power and, and looking objectively almost at ourselves. So I had a client, is a, professional baseball players, a pitcher. He came in to see me in, you know, I wasn't living in New York yet, but I was in New York. That's where we were doing our meeting. And I got a, I got a cardboard cutout of him. And when he walked in, he was sitting in the corner. And then, you know, so he's like, oh, what's that there? I'm like, you'll see. So we're sitting now down and we're kind of talking about the, the plan for the next year. And, you know, what are the things that you, like, why, why are we here and stuff? And then I said, uh, said to him, I said, I want you to take a look at that guy over there. What needs to change with him to get him there? So just the fact that there was an object in the room, an actual artifact, and I'm getting him to now not judge himself, but look at that individual and go, yeah, what does need to change about him? I'm like, because you're here. Like, this is the, this is the thinker strategic you. Because it was the Carver Cutout was of him as the pitcher. Right. Like you, you have many identities. Yeah. The guy that's here, this is the strategist right, right now working with another strategist. And so what could we, what needs to transform with that guy over there? And I'm telling you, so when we got some, uh, just at sticky notes and we just, just started putting things on them. And it was that, that removed a whole bunch of the narrative of judgment. Yes. Because I, I'm not just sitting at here. I'm saying like, what needs to change about right. you? Right. I'm not pointing at you. Yes. I'm now pointing over there. Yeah. And that made, and so that's what I do with every single private client that ends up coming in and working with me is I get a cardboard cutout. And it's always funny because I'm like, hey, I need a full body shot of you, okay? <laughs> and, and, you know, like I'll get my photo person to like doctor it up a little right. bit. But that's just another way. And so even for someone, if you had a picture of you sitting on your computer screens and you just sat back and say like, what needs to shift yes. in the way that that person shows up as a mom or as someone who's going to pursue their creative pursuit or pick a role? Don't, don't talk about yourself generally because we don't have an alter ego. We don't have, a, we don't have one identity. Mm -hmm. You and I were talking 
maybe it was before this started, or maybe it was you guys already hit, started hit roll <laughs> yeah. on this. You know, the Rachel that's on stage is different than the Rachel that's here doing this interview. And yeah. you should be because they take different traits and qualities to be excellent right. at that role. There's so much ego. Ego, yes, in certain circumstances, your ego can absolutely destroy your life. It totally can. But there is an absolute level of ego that is required to be the person who gets on stage. Mm -hmm. I have a really dear friend who's a very big music artist, and we talk about this a lot. If people knew the real them, you wouldn't even believe the gentle, yeah. sweet, kind, like who they actually are versus this bigger than life, like massive celebrity but that you have to step into that. Yeah. And I think to a certain extent without some of that, yeah, like yeah. I got this. If I don't have that energy, I promise you, you don't want to see me on stage. No. Because the person who, you saw even just my body shift, right? That's right. Because that's, you know, it's like shoulders back, chest out, like let's go. That's a person who's going to have courage. That's a person who knows if they make a flub on stage, they can make a joke out of it and they yeah. can make you all laugh. Like, she's got me. Yeah. But that was something, I, that wasn't even a conscious thing. It was just something that developed over time. And I understood that if I played certain music and I jumped up and down and I like got myself into a zone yeah. right before I walked on stage, she was there. Yeah, and so that's important that you share that, Rachel, because someone else is now oh, about to go on stage and they're like, oh, well, if... If I need to jump on a trampoline to get myself going, then I shouldn't be up there anyway. We oh, place no. all of these oh. funny, and wow, that's what that's yeah. that's what one of my sort of missions is about. Because I've worked with the elite of the elite, right? Kobe Bryant or Cristiano Ronaldo or Rafael Nadal or like mega successful CEOs or entrepreneurs or entertainers in Hollywood or in Broadway and stuff. And I'm like, man, it's just it really perturbs me to use a friendlier term when I see so much bad advice given in social media on how to level up in life. And I'm like, that's not what the ultra successful right. person who's achieved something is actually doing. Right. They recognize the fact that there is some invention or reinvention that they need to do with themselves because that person isn't prepped for that role or right. field of play over there. And it's not disingenuous. It's not inauthentic. They're trying to invent themselves yeah. into the world that they're trying to operate yeah. inside of. Yeah. It's also that version of me who's on the stage, she can't parent my kids. Sure. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's not a thing. Yeah. The idea that, oh, you have to be the same person at all times is, is wild to me. Yeah. I love, too, in the book, I can't think of his actual name right now, but Supermensch. You know, the documentary. Chef Super, Gordon. There it is. Yeah. Which I ended up watching the documentary Wasn't after I read in the book. Oh my gosh. So fantastic. Yeah. But he, and you will remember it much better than I do, but can you sort of paraphrase, I assume you don't have it memorized, yeah. but yeah. kind of what he said, explain who he was and what he said. Cause that I like underline yeah. that. I showed it to my boyfriend. I was like this, this, this thing. So very beginning uh, of chapter number two. I talk about Shep Gordon, who is uh, known by Supermensch and the great actor and comedian Mike Myers did a documentary on him. It's on Netflix. Highly encourage people to watch Fantastic. it again after the episode. Uh, I was at an event 
he was there speaking. I was speaking at it as well. And I was sitting in the crowd and I was just like gobbling up every single one. And of his- he's like an agent for a manager. Yeah. So he was a manager for, so he, he's the one who invented Alice Cooper's career. Right. Oh, Celebrity. He invented the celebrity chef space. Yes. Emeril Lagasse yes. credits Didn't him. Didn't exist. Wolfgang Puck, because back in the early 90s, they were all like these phenomenal creative artists, but they made no money. Yeah. In fact, like think about this. In 92, Wolfgang Puck would get contracted to come and serve a massive meal at a place. And it was, no, it's your honor to serve us. And he would yeah. get paid nothing. Yeah. And then there was a huge meeting. It's famous. And it was at, um, I think it was at Wolfgang Puck's restaurant. Spago. Spago yeah. here in LA. LA. And they invite Shep in because he's a legend. He's like, he's kind of like a little bit, I'm not going to say I'm, I'm like him, but because uh, I have been playing more behind the scenes. I've n- I never went and built up my companies through like massive, massive personal branding, but Shep was very similar. So he doesn't know me yet. Doesn't right. know that my book is about to come out because right. right before my book came out. He's like, uh, an audience member says to him and it's Michelle Falcone uh, asked the question, Michelle, great restaurateur in Toronto said, Hey, what's one of the first things you do to help these you know, a mega stars with the mindset of like their careers. And he's like, I'll tell you, the very first thing I did is I built an alter ego for them. I built a brand new identity for them because what these people needed to understand was that the people who were loving on them were loving on a very specific avatar of what they're representing. Yes. And if they didn't build the alter ego, it would very much confuse their entire identity. Right. And so they were able to then bifurcate their life that when I'm in a restaurant and someone comes up to me and says, oh my God, Alice, you're my favorite. You can go in your own mind. Yeah, he loves me for that guy on stage. And how I would then coach someone. So that was what Shep did. And so I was just sitting there just grinning ear to ear. And I had people around me just like nudging me. They're like, oh my God, this is what you talk about. I'm like, guys, I know. (laughs) This is just what happens at that level. But it does not be reserved for that love because I don't right. want someone who's sitting at home right now and, you know, like covered in puke from their three-year-old or <laughs> right. something like that saying, yeah, but it's like, yeah, you're you're diff- you're living a different hero's journey though. Yes. And we can all use this tool because we did it as kids. Yes. Everyone's used it. This is my, because when we sat down earlier, like, what's crazy about this is like, when I was reading your book, I was like, yeah, this is me. That's right. why I have to get you on the podcast because right. this is what yeah. I did. Yeah. And and you're no different than so many hundreds and thousands of people who've pinged me on DMs and Instagram saying, oh my God, I used to do this when I was uh, when I was taking college tests. Yes. I didn't realize that when I was putting on the fake glasses that I was using this. And I'm like, yeah, I'm just giving you voice to something that's a very natural part of the human condition. Right. It's like putting yourself too in like certain situations or circumstances. My oldest is going into his junior year in high school and I see this with him and his friends. And I used to do this and I think it's super popular. If they want to study, like really study, they want the aesthetic of someone who's studying, right? They want to like go to a coffee shop. They've got their highlight, like, and it seems silly, but I will watch the Mm -hmm. level of work, the quality of work, the attention to detail shifts because they're like, we're in that. I'm in the back cave. Yeah. They're like doing something that sort of flips a switch. And what I resonated with, with Shep, in your reference in the book is that he says, basically, like, if you know the brand, like the alter ego, the brand of this celebrity, if the celebrity understands the the brand piece, they know how it answers questions in an interview. That's right. They know how it takes pictures. They know what to do when a fan comes up. They know the brand is not confused about exactly how it shows up in the world. Mm -hmm. 
And that resonated with me so deeply because I think if there's something that has really affected me emotionally over the last, let's say, since 2018, so let's say the last five years, it is, it's been very hard for me to separate the brand from who I am. Like I, I know that the person who gets on stage, that's like real life. I'm feeling that. Yeah. But it is, it has been very difficult for me to separate the things written about me, the things people say, the outright lies. And you can't defend yourself because if you defend yourself, it like gets bigger. Yeah. And so I just experienced this massive explosion in my career, then felt very overwhelmed Mm -hmm. by that. And then in a lot of ways, I think got smaller. Mm -hmm. Like in a lot of ways, I think I sort of shut down because with a certain amount of exposure, there's a lot of backlash that happens. And I'm still like the little girl who's trying to people please and make sure mom and daddy are proud of me. And so that really resonated with me as like, God, I feel like if I could be a bit better about truly understanding that the thing on Instagram is not me. Mm. It's not me. It is in every way, like an authentic version of how I would show up, but I don't show up with a filter on. Mm -hmm. I don't show up with like a really nice angle. So my chin looks snatched. Like Mm -hmm. I don't do that in real life. Mm -hmm. So that piece, I was like, God, I don't necessarily need help to like be ambitious. I got that all day. But if that piece would just help it feel a bit better, the process of it. And I know that I would do more because I wouldn't be sort of experiencing the ramifications of the negativity, if that makes sense. Totally makes sense. Yeah. So then what's your takeaway? From that idea? From that that experience, like, is that informing how you show up any differently now? Like- Yeah, I definitely post a lot more content since I read your book. Oh. It's true. Uh, because I like, this is, this is the truth. I've thought about this a ton in the last couple months or whenever it was, I read it. I went through, I mean, I feel like this would be textbook for what you write about. I started doing personal development, started working on myself, went to a Tony Robbins conference. Yeah. This was back in like, what, 2016, Jack? Mm-hmm. Jack went with me. Uh, so <laughs> Jack, you're such a good sidekick, man. <laughs> I know, man. We <laughs> saw our crew from work. We all went to this conference. But for me, and I think probably for a lot of people, if that's the first thing you've ever done anything, I had never experienced sure. anything. It was the first thing I that's had so done. That's so surprising to me. I would yeah. have thought that you would have gone to like a bunch of that stuff. No, I grew up in a really conservative Christian environment. My dad was a preacher. My granddad was a preacher. And something like that was considered very sinful. So you would be, you shouldn't be taking advice from anybody who's not a preacher, which is terrifying, but that's how I was raised. Yeah, I get it. So it was a huge deal for me to even go in the first place. And in choosing to go, I, it was probably the first time with any significance that I stepped outside of a decision that my husband wanted for me. He was not supportive of that. He did not like that idea. He grew up in a very similar environment. So I went to UPW with the crew and there is this moment where he's essentially talking about the idea. He doesn't call it an alter ego, but he's like, Basically, what's the version of you that can show up for this goal? What's the version of you that like has the courage or can do these things? And you like are working with this concept and what would they do and how would they act? And then you give them a name. So you give it a name, which is, you know, you talk about this in the book that you have to like call it something. And 
I was and still am in a lot of ways really interested in what I can do in the media space and like how far I can take that and how big it could possibly be. And back then I was like, well, what's a name for someone who's like massive in media? And so the word that popped in my head was mogul. And so I was mm. like, oh, that's what I'm calling it. I'm calling it the mogul. And I came back and I was like, I'm getting the word mogul tattooed on my body. Like I am serious. This is what I'm, this is who I am, yeah. whatever was my first tattoo. So imagine I come back from this conference. I am on fire. My husband at the time, not happy about any of this. And also I have that alter ego now and I'm getting a tattoo, which he also was not okay with. Yeah. He had a very strong opinion about people who got tattoos. Yeah. It sounds so stupid to no, say No, it right doesn't because I had okay. the same. Okay. Like, I, mean, I grew up from a very small town. Conservative. Right. I, I get it. Right. I get it. Uh, but I'm like, no, I'm going to do this thing. I want to remember it forever. So I have the word right here on my wrist, yeah. the word mogul tattooed on my wrist. And all of those sequence of events were massive for me. Again, it's like the surprise. You surprise yourself because I, for the first time in my life, I went from like my daddy to my husband, but from the first time in my life, the like authority figure in my life did not want me to do something. Mm -hmm. And I made a choice for myself and said, I, I respect your opinion. I'm going to do it anyway. That takes courage. It was massive. And in a lot of ways, it was, it was the beginning of the end of that relationship. It took much longer for things to dissipate, but it was those kind of choices where I would like no, this is, I'm an adult and I'm allowed to mm -hmm. like want to have acrylic nails or I'm allowed, like yeah. all of these, anyway, I'm getting off topic. But the point is that when I was reading the book, I was like, God, I've really lost that thing. I've lost the attachment to the identity of the mogul. The mogul is all business minded and they make decisions based on the company and growing. And I guess what I'm curious about, would love your perspective as a coach, is because I know I can't be the only one who's like done it and had success. Oh, please. Yeah. And then shit went sideways. Yeah. On a lot of levels. And then that on some level has made me fearful that the success is sort of what made those things happen. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. So I, if I'm being super honest, have fully taken my foot off the gas. And I'm just now starting to be like, beep, yeah. beep, 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 beep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so like if someone, and it doesn't have to be as big as what I experienced, but if someone's hearing this and like, yeah, I did it and it freaking worked and then shit fell apart. Yeah. What does that mean? Well, so then we, what we, what we do really, really well as human beings is we attach a story to the things that we think made us successful. I don't do therapy work, okay? okay? Now, I know all of the different therapies out there, family systems therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's because there's some amazing tools in those things, but I would never go out and tell someone, hey, I'm gonna help you with your trauma. Right, right, right. right. That's not, I'm a performance guy, performance people. We help you to move forward despite circumstances and situations. So if you're not someone who can pull yourself onto the sidelines of life and get yourself perfect, I'm the guy right? <laughs> or, or I'm one of the people out there, not just me. There's other amazing people too. And so I say that because as a guy who made his living poking around between the six inches of people's ears, right? Mental game stuff, inner game world. There's just natural little buttons that you're going to find and push that are like, whoa, 
what's that? Yeah. They'll share it with me, maybe not all of it. And then that's why I have a roster of like great therapists or psychoanalysts or whatever that I'll refer people off to because that's not what I do. But one thing that I'll encourage them with, a lot, lot of reasons why people will hold on to their trauma stories and they'll use it as dark energy to drive them in their actions is they think that's what makes them successful. Right. Because of this history that I went through as a kid or this happened to me, this is the reason why I'm such a killer on the court. 100%. Or um, I'm going out and doing this. And so while there may be elements of truth in that, what I don't want them to hold on to is that that needs to be a truth forever. So like the athlete, I'd say, no, you know why you're excellent on the court or the ice or the field or whatever? It's because you're really freaking good. Your skills are amazing. You have thousands of hours doing crossover dribbles, right? And like you have thousands of hours of insert whatever. No, you're good and you've put in the work. And I say that because one thing that will drive people to take action better than anything else is pain. Mm-hmm. Pain will beat pleasure in prompting someone to take action better than anything else. But after a certain point in time, we have to stop running away from the tiger and we need to shift our focus, not to over our shoulder for fear of that thing catching me, to know what's the vision of where I'm trying to go. So going back to you now, to switch up the metaphor, it would be, no, what's the vision that Rachel wants? You know, like, and because you're here. Yeah. Ships got burned. Yeah. Whatever. What a yeah. great story. Yeah. Right. And it informed some of your decision-making going forward, but know what's the vision because the thing that's going to get you up and be excited about putting out more content or delivering something new or creating something new or, you know, launching a new little sub-brand or something like that is because it aligns to the vision of the world that you're trying to live inside of. Mm -hmm. Along the way, it would be ignorant of us to not think that there are going to be people on the sidelines throwing a little arrow into right. that bow and launching it. Right. But I'd much rather have other people aim their bows and arrows at me than me. Mm. I will not be the one who shoots an arrow into the beating heart of my own vision. Damn that. I will not do that. And I, like, I get vibrated because I've been there. Like, I am someone who, when I really unpack the nature of my life and why I've done things and, you know, the pursuits that I've had, it you know, very much driven by trauma and stuff that happened to me when I was a 12-year-old kid. I grew up in an amazing family, great parents, won the lottery on mom and dad, and then great siblings. And, but I was an extrovert growing up on the farm. And uh, during, when summer came around, I wanted to go to any summer camp I possibly could. So one week I'd be evangelical, the next I'd be Baptist, the next I'd be Catholic. I just said, what's the camp I can get to right. so I can be around other humans and make friends? And so um, I was at a camp when I was 12 and for whatever reason got singled out by two men and was, you know, sexually abused over the course of a couple of days. Mm. And I was never in a toxic environment. That was never my world. And so it was, you know, it, it separated me from my family. I could feel it. Like I can still even feel it to the day, even somatically in the body of like when I felt this separation is like, oh, I'm different now than my family. I'm mm. like, like, I just wanted my dad so bad to walk through the door. And um, it didn't happen, obviously. But at the same time, so I carried that with me. Uh, I went home. I got dropped off at home a, a couple of days later by the people who would take me to the camp. 
and um, dropped off my bags at the front door. And then I went into our backyard. We had just put a pool in the backyard and I uh, tried to drown myself. And that was kind of my story through my teens and my early parts of my 20s was I had several attempts at suicide. And so me trying to master my own mental game and then being good at helping other people with their mental game was literally just survival. Like I was just trying to get through. But I think about alter egos came into my life and I stayed connected to my creative imagination because my real world was so torturous to me because I never told anybody. And it wasn't until I was in my early 40s that I finally divulged it to my wife. And then I ended up going through and um, getting um, therapy on it and came out the other side like so much better. And now I can talk about it. It doesn't bother me. But I also recognize that in that experience, because nature tells us this, nothing can only be bad. There has to be good in something. And that can be hard for some people to take that or might be going through a trauma right now, or they're really in the emotional angst of it. But I can tell you that every single thing that's challenging for us gives us a capability. And I say, I'm saying capability in the spelling of mine is C-A-P-E dash ability, mm-hmm. capability. We're given a cape. Yeah. There is some superpower that you're gifted with. Mine was extraordinary compassion for the plight of other people because I don't know where they came from, but I'm very curious about what is driving your behavior and your actions because you're telling me that you want to go there mm-hmm. and I want to help you go there. And... I know that you're going to be moving through some difficult things as you get there. And I want to help you get through those things with my skill set. And that's what I know from whether it's my clients over the years. And I do big online programs just like you do. And I've got thousands of people that go through stuff sometimes. But if there's one thing that would be on my tombstone that I genuinely want to be there is he cared. Yeah. And so that's a part of our values inside of my company is we you will not you will not beat me on the treadmill of caring. I will outcare everybody else. And so I just say that because to that challenging experience that you had, like the zenith rising and stuff, and then oh, crashing and then coming back, it's like just stay firm to the mission and the vision that you have because the arrows are never gonna stop. Yeah. They're just not. I wish that I could tap into bless her, like 2017 me, 2016, 2015, any of those years where interestingly enough, I had this awareness the other day. I was never aiming at a goal that was like a life, right? I was never like, oh, I'm going to be this person. I'm going to have these things. And I'm never, I was aiming at one thing. I want to be a New York Times bestseller. Mm. That was it. I knew I wanted to be an author And so eventually I got to the place where I had written a book. And once I had written a book, I just wanted to be a New York Times bestseller. This was so shocking to me because I was like, oh, man, like I, you know, how did I get here? And I'm like, oh, I wasn't trying to get here. I was trying to get to one goal. It just so happened that when I got to that one goal, the tide came into the harbor and every boat went up with it. Yeah. And so I would pay so much money to get back to that like naive young woman who was like, I just want to be a New York Times bestseller. Because I think now I find myself, I'm so curious, you have to have coached people on this before, athletes especially. What do you do? And FYI, Todd, you're like the 50th person I've asked this question to on this podcast. What do you do when you've achieved more than you ever thought was possible? What do you do? Appreci- to, like, appreciate it. Uh, that's uh, all day. 
Yeah. How do you dream a bigger dream when you've already surpassed every dream you ever had? Well, okay. So that's an example of from in my world and in my language. Okay. So the ego is the one that forms it no matter what. So the ego formed the goal and no matter what it was inspired by, if it was divine or whatever, it's still going to be passing through the, the lens of the identity of the person that was back in 2016 and 2017, right? And so, great. You created a human being that achieved that goal. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, that person has to be retired in some ways. You're going to, of course, carry skills with you into the next version. But like now it's, well, what's what's that next? And it's going to sound platitudinal to maybe some people, but what's the next vision of where you're going to move towards, okay? So probably somewhere around um, eight out of every 10, one of my Olympic clients who's standing on a podium earning a medal feels very empty. Yeah, It's a very empty feeling because they're on the podium and it's what's next. Like I, I did the thing. And for me, it's the, the danger of goal setting to something and goal setting through something. Ooh, okay. That's so good. Explain J- that. JFK's, by the end of this decade, we will land a man on the moon and return him safely to earth. The most important part of that is the returning safely to earth. <laughs> because right. goal setting two is getting to the moon. Goal setting through is coming back home. Right? So Dang, that's we, good. Yeah, we're circular. Right. We're we're not we're not endpoints. There's this spiraling up that we do in life. Sometimes we spiral back down because we needed to. We, there was something that we got to a certain point, but we didn't actually have all the capability and skill to hold that thing. We needed to go back down to get some more troops, yeah. <laughs> skills, attributes, qualities, whatever, perspectives to climb back up that spiral staircase. And it's always going to be a different formation of a spiral staircase for us. So we're always spiraling in some ways up and down, but we goal set through something. So to the athlete, I would say, you don't want to get to the NBA, right? Because if you get drafted and you play one game and then it's over, you, yeah. you achieved your goal. Right. Because that's what you said. Right. And the mind is very literal because it's teleological. It's goal-seeking constantly. So, no, what, what do you actually want? No, you want to make it to the NBA. You want to have a successful career as a point guard, as a starting point guard, and be viewed by your teammates as a quality leader on the team, someone that they can rely on. You know, when the game is on the line, that's who they want on the court. And also, that's who they want sitting next to them in the locker room. Because it's one thing to be great on the court, but also in the locker room where it can sometimes feel very lonely when you're sitting just in your locker. You're inside your own head and you don't know if coach actually likes you, the new coach. Yeah. But you'd like to have a trusted ally with you sitting next to you where you can get some advice. Is that the type of career that you want? And when I kind of language it that way, you're like, yeah, that's what I want. I'm like, okay, well, that's what we're going to build then. And then do you break those down into pieces? Yes. You're like, okay, we're going to work on the athleticism. We're going to work on how you show up as a human being and a leader. The like, leadership, the communication yeah. skills as well. Like if you honestly think that this is about dribbling, mm. right? It's not just about that because dribbling is a, there's a dime a dozen guys that I can go to in any street corner or park in Brooklyn, the Lower East Side of Manhattan, Bronx, whatever, that know how to dribble, but they're not in the NBA, right? There's other qualities that you need to get there. Yeah. And so- there's a more valuable version of Rachel that can serve other people sitting here right now because of the experience that you went through. 
right? Where you got to this helium level where just the, the balloon got filled up with more and more, not hot air in dismissing it, right? Yeah. Like it was just a lot of things came together, right? Right For you. But now there's some sinew and muscle. There's some wisdom on the bones that you have that make you even more valuable as a communicator, as a messenger to other people, right? You, you, you hold a different model in the mind. And I know this to be true, Rachel, about you because I've had conversations about you with other people since I told them that, you know, and they were, you know, they're like, oh, the, you know, the stuff that happened in 2019 or 2020. Yeah. And a lot of people like to hate on or shit on other people. Yeah. But then after a little while, people get tired of the hating and the shitting on yeah. because it's like a bit of a reflection on themselves right. when they do that. So it kind of like, yeah, but happened to so-and-so too. Right. And it happened to this person too. So I would encourage you to look at it through a different lens of like, no, there's some different muscle that I have now. Absolutely. Right. And there's some wisdom that's here because wisdom is only gained through applied action, applied knowledge. Yeah. I'm not even, to be honest, like I don't even... I think at this point have all the stuff that's happened has happened and I've learned from it and I've yeah. grown and like, it sounds like, you know, the party line or whatever, but it really is in so many ways why I am the person that I am today. What I think more than anything, I, I don't fear people disliking me. There's no way that you can have a platform in 2023 and not have people that are like, I fucking hate that person. Yeah. It doesn't stop that person from being successful because guess what? The content wasn't for you. Mm -hmm. It was for this person who has had, uh, like got something out experience. of it. Right. Yeah. And I think that I have a unique blessing in that. And I'm sure you've experienced this too. And I'm sure people listening who are in some kind of coaching or leadership or anything like that, the amount of people who have come up to me and told me what the work means to them, told me that they were suicidal and something made a shift in them. Like I have those stories by the thousands. Mm -hmm. That's that's a legacy. Yeah. That like if I never did another thing but raise these babies and like live on a farm, yeah. I have that legacy forever. And I am super freaking proud of that. Yeah. I don't have fear about what the brand is, right? Yeah. I went from a team of five people and then all of a sudden everything got really successful. And then all of a the sudden there were 60 people mm -hmm. and I, I take ownership because I was part of that, but I wasn't. Uh, it was one of those things where like all of a sudden this person's helping and this person's helping and now this person's running your company. And I, it just felt like everything got out of my control. Mm-hmm. And I know for a fact that is my number one block, is my number one block. I have one of the biggest podcasts hosted by a woman in the world. Mm -hmm. You know how many employees I have? You're looking at them. Really? It's just you and Jack? All the social that you see is me. What you just articulated, though, is that there's still a trapped version of you that's stuck inside of an old story of... It's going to happen again. And yeah. I'm going to tell you that it's not going to happen again. Other things will happen True. in the future, but not the same thing. If I was hypothetically coaching in the moment, which I am, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say, okay, well, let's, I, I get that Rachel's gone through those experiences. Who is someone that you're very inspired by that, what, what, are, what is it about the way that they lead other people? that you appreciate. And again, 
It could be a character in a movie. It could be a character in a book. It could be an animal. It doesn't matter. There's, there's something that's resonant within you that you you saw something and you're like, oh, I, I like that. Yeah. Oh, specifically? Yeah. Have you ever met John Maxwell? Yes. Uh, so I haven't met him. I just know his world pretty right. well. And, yeah. So he has, uh, I haven't spoken with him in a minute, so I assume they're both still there, but he has a chief of staff and like a vice president who run his businesses who are the most buttoned up, like cool, but also not like they're just incredible leader. Every time I've seen them interact with their team, I'm like, you guys are badass. Mm -hmm. And what I do, honestly, the amount of times that I'm like, I just need that, which is what got me into the situation I was in in the first place, is I think I can't be like that. So I need to find someone who is that to be in between me and my team. Mm -hmm. So who can be this efficient leader, who can speak truth to people, who can tell them like, hey, you kind of sucked at that thing and we need to improve over here. That's who pops in my head when you say like. So that, is it that they're, like what are the qualities that they exhibit though? Super confident. I believe, at least, I don't know if their team would say the same thing, but I always thought that it looked like they really wanted the people on their team to have great lives, to be the best that they could be. And they were willing to speak truthfully to them to get them there. I hate confrontation with mm. teammates and have forever. And the reason that Jack has been with me for like 10 years or something is just that we have worked together for so long that I'm not afraid to say like, hey, yeah. bro, like just because I love them and like huh. I'm not afraid of that. Yeah. But someone brand new, Oh, and then I got it. It just, it feels so time consuming. It feels so exhausting. I'm already parenting four kids. Yeah. The idea of adding more people and then having to manage them is very stressful to me. Yeah. So just one thing that you had, uh, I don't know if you build your, build your company through the values of it, but one of the things that I, I, used to. I coach people on is, so I have a company 90 day year. And it's a performance operating system for businesses. So it, like when I sold my sports company, I took a lot of those principles that we used with athletes and teams and organizations and I brought it into the entrepreneurial space because I find that entrepreneurs or people that are freelancers or whatever, we our ambition pulls on the lever of more, 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 thinking that that's going to help us get to the outcome. When in reality, more is the enemy of peak performance. Mm. Adding more to your plate isn't necessarily going to get you into what's called the flow channel, like where you're just like, you're just, you're just in it and it just feels good. And you're, and you're not only producing, but you're producing good stuff. One of the worksheets that we get people to, to complete is you're, anytime you're writing out values that you're trying to operate through, and this goes even into like your identity, you have to be able to point to the value on the field of play in yeah. action. Yeah. So in the way that you described that group of people from John Maxwell's team and how they really believe in bestness in all the areas, well, then one of your values should be, we believe in holistic bestness. And again, you just make up words if you want. Bestness right. isn't a word, everybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what that means is, that's the next phrase. So, and what that means is we believe at the Rachel Hollis group of companies <laughs> that we give our best in the work that we do, 
but we also want the best for everybody in their personal lives, yeah. in their families, in their, in their health and in their wellness. We know we're achieving that. That's the next one. When, if it's two o'clock on a Wednesday and Jack's son, I don't think Jack has a no. son, but <laughs> let's say Jack has a son who's just as devilishly handsome as he is, is having a volleyball game at two o'clock in the afternoon, Jack is at that volleyball game. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So that's how we express these things. And I'm saying this, like playing this out because I'm trying to give you a tactic, but also show you that like the way that you're going to be building your business going forward is going to be very different Yeah. than the way that you used to do it. Well, I've already and had a breakthrough in just what you're saying because this is the biggest piece. I stopped thinking I had a business. Mm. I stopped thinking I had a company mm. because I worked for over a decade to build a company. And then the second that I got, I shouldn't say the second, that's dramatic. But when I experienced the most success I had, then I brought in other people who made that bigger and bigger and bigger until it exploded. Mm -hmm. And then I feel like the people who did that then bounced and left me with a mess that took me a couple years to clean up. Mm -hmm. And so even you saying that, that's the biggest thing is I'm like, oh, I stopped believing I had a company. I'm like, it's just me and Jack and we're doing our thing. And it's it's nuts. It doesn't make sense. If we think back to the company as it was pre-COVID, because COVID was when yeah. everything exploded. Yeah. But if we think like pre-COVID, that's all, we were so hardcore about our values. I mean, team meetings, it was coming into work was like the happy place. Like it was such a vibe. It felt, it was my dream. Mm -hmm. I was like, I fucking did it. This is where I wanted to come into work every day. And then that all just went yeah. to hell in a handbasket. So I stopped even thinking in those terms because I'm like, oh, you tried to have that thing and it imploded. Not for you. You know, it's not. Yeah. So that's like a trip for me because I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, you well, of course, you have a, of course you have a company because a company is literally just uh, value creation in the marketplace. Right. You create value in the marketplace and there's an exchange of commerce because of that. Yeah. Right, if we were just to break it down. So, of course, you have a company. And some people, I think the last four years, there's been a breakthrough in that. They used to define company as, no, you have to sell physical goods and you think, you know, it's, it's got to be a storefront and, you know, the world of the internet has massively transformed that. And no, if you produce value in the marketplace and people are happy to either exchange money for or exchange their attention for that value yeah. and then you get paid because of advertising dollars or something else, yeah. no, that's value and you've got yeah. you've got a business now. 100%. Yeah. No, it's not even like the financials are there. It's not even it's literally just this weird block I have about hiring more people, mm -hmm. which I desperately need. I just keep I mean, every day, Todd, I'm yeah. like, write a job description, put it up somewhere. Yeah. Like, and then I just, so. I'll give you this. Someone had asked me recently about like, hey, like, you know, people talk about visions and missions and things like that. And do you have a, a mission or a vision for yourself, in, you know, in the world? And I always, I don't know about you, Rachel, you know, when it comes to personal development seminars or self-help seminars, I always really struggled with, and I judged myself for it because I wasn't very good at writing out the vision statement for Todd Herman's life. Mm. Like, it was such a grand thing. So how, how can I just whittle down Todd's life into just one statement or a paragraph? 
But if I asked everyone the same question as like, hey, no, what's your what's your vision or mission for who you want to be as a mom? Yeah. Seems a little more okay, because that's just one identity, right. one role. So I say to everyone, like, hey, let's let's break your world down into roles. And like, so what's your vision and mission for who you want to be as the athlete? Or I talk for my for myself, I look at it as the caretaker of this body. So again, I'm talking in third person. So like, who's the caretaker of this body? And what are they going to do? What's the mission of that particular identity in Todd? And then the erudite thinker, like, what's my philosophy? Like, what's the mission of the philosopher within me? Because your philosophy in life is going to massively determine a lot of your actions, right? Because that's the water that you're swimming inside of. You know, the classic little parable of two little gold, two little fish are swimming in the ocean. And then an, a more senior fish swims by and says, how's the water today, guys? And the two look at each other, water. What water? Well, what's, what is, you know, what's water, right? That's our philosophy. Sometimes we don't even recognize and understand what we're even thinking. What, what are our viewpoints of the world? What are our paradigms that shape us? So I say all this to get back to the whole vision and mission. The moment I started breaking myself down, I was like, oh, I can actually create visions for these things and missions that felt more doable only proves my point about alter ego or identity. Like when you start breaking yourself down, it's a lot, you can think a lot more clearly. But having done all that now, I've settled on a very specific mission for myself. I'll ask you and Jack this, because I want to include Jack in the show. Pull, <laughs> pull your microphone over if you want. What's the most honest place in your home? If you think about it, where do you think for you, the most honest place is in your home? It's kind of like a bit of a wacky. The kitchen. Like, shower. Shower, great one. Yeah, kitchen. kitchen. I would say the most, for me, the most creative place in my home is the shower. <laughs> it's your pillow. Mm. Your pillow is the most honest place in the home. And to the listener, I can tell you, your pillow when you lay your head down at night is where you take stock of your day. And it is where you're either very happy with the person that showed up that day or you beat yourself up with the things that you didn't do. And so my mission is to create as many smiling pillows as I possibly can before the day I die. Yeah. That's, that's what great. I want to do. And the way that I go about doing that is trying to share ideas with people that are very practical and also ground them into really the way that we operate as human beings. Maybe give people permission to be different. You know, show up in life in just their way. Do it their way. Don't do it Todd's way. Don't do it someone else's way. And if I can get more people to end their days smiling because they showed up the way that they did, maybe they did confront somebody and it was very awkward in the moment, but at least they acted through their values in that moment. And they stood up for their friend who was getting some slighting comments from somebody at a freaking cocktail party or something like that. Or it was to their mother-in-law. And they were able to display to their kids, as you said earlier, that no, no one's going to either talk to mom that way or put me down in front of you because I need my daughter to see someone being strong in the yeah. moment because I'm going to be her greatest influence. That is the stuff that makes you smile at the end of your day. And I say that to you because the thing that's going to make you smile tomorrow is launching a job description for something, Rachel. Because <laughs> at least you did it. And who knows yeah. if you're going to find the person. You're right. I don't know. You're right. But it's going to topple one domino for you're you. You're right. You're so right because when we have these like fears that stack up on ourselves, it becomes bigger and bigger. And I know it's so stupid. But what I do, and I think a lot of entrepreneurs do, is I keep telling myself it's just faster if I keep doing it. Mm. It's just faster. It's just faster. But when I think of the level of content 
that is required of me. And it's really, I'm really experiencing the tension right now because I'm getting such incredible opportunities that I've never had before that require me to have the time to sit down and create. But I don't have the time to sit down and create because I'm writing an email. Because you're executing. I'm executing, exactly. Yeah. So it's like that myth that I keep telling myself, and I know I coach people on this on this podcast. Like yeah. I freaking know yeah. that you you're supposed to take the time, you're supposed to separate, you go, you do the thing and spend the time investing in being able to delegate so that you can do the stuff only you can do. Mm-hmm. I know it. And I don't know why. I just keep swirling around, but you're right. I need to just suck it up, stop being a weenie, and just freaking hire some people to help. There you go. There's your next book. Stop yeah. being a stop weenie. Stop being a weenie. <laughs> honestly, <laughs> honestly, it's so it is so wild. Whether we're talking to friends or family members, or you'll hear someone else tell the story, uh, like tell their story of why they're stuck, and you hear it, and you're like, "What? That's the simplest thing in the world." Sure. Literally the simplest thing in the world. But when you're inside of it, you can't push yourself out. Which only gets to the point of helping people disassociate from that individual, for me, and let's step into a different identity. Right. It's one of the reasons why I was asking the question about like, well, who is someone and how would, would, like, how do you see them doing it? Or what is inspiring about the way that they go about doing things? And the fact that you can recognize something in the world is a sign that you can recognize something within yourself, that you either have that attribute, you have that trait, you have that quality. Because you can't see something and appreciate something in the world that you can't also see within yourself. It might be buried underneath a whole bunch of story mm-hmm. that, oh, well, of course it's easy for that person over there to do it. And I try to stop people, say, well, is that, that's not truth. That's <laughs> mm. not true. You, can, you also have the capacity to do that because we do have traits, abilities, and qualities that are available to us at any point in time. It's just that we need to find a better vehicle to transmute those qualities through. And that vehicle is typically through our identity. Yeah. And so I like helping people build new identities that help them to bring more of themselves out in the world so they can feel more whole. And then when someone feels more whole, Rachel, the only thing that I'm ever indexing towards when I'm giving people advice or content or coaching them is at the end of the day, the only thing I care about is, can I help you trust yourself more? Trust is at the very center of peak performance as a human being. It's different than confidence. Confidence can come and go. There was extraordinary confidence that 2017, 18 version of Rachel Hollis had, Mm -hmm. right? And now what's happened is a few outside experiences, some we cause things, of course we do, right? And we take stock of those things and we can change them. But I don't need to like keep on, you know, like slaying myself every single day with those things. Right. But when someone trusts themselves, that's at the DNA level now. That is within you. That is resonant. And when you trust who the person is that's showing up as a mom to your kids, because you're very clear about how you're going to show up with what you're going to show up with. That's a very powerful person. Yeah. 
and I mean, and again, I'm not perfect with this stuff, right? Like, I mean, I'm a human being and that, but I'm always coaching myself on like, no, Todd, do you trust yourself with this? Do you trust yourself that you're going to show up in a certain way? You're coming on Rachel Hollis's podcast. It's a big podcast. Are you going to say the wrong thing? And I'm like, well, they'll edit things out probably right. that they don't want to have on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. But I know my skill sets. I know where I'm very good. I will not talk outside of my boundaries of my skill sets. That's my problem with like the life coaching world is like, there's some phenomenal people who know how to coach people. But again, I'm not a trauma therapist. Yeah. I, I know where my bumpers are. I play the game of bowling with the bumpers on the sides. There are no gutters for me. The ball only stays between that lane. And anytime I find someone that needs other skills that are meant for that lane over there, I've got a human being uh, waiting for them to help them out. Yeah. I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to walk us through how someone hearing this, like how do you build an alter ego? And I would not have you on the show if I didn't think every listener shouldn't go grab, they should all grab the book, go grab the alter ego effect, read every page, understand it better. Yeah. But because you and I, in my favorite style of conversation, have gone all over the place, yeah. I don't feel like we properly established. Okay. You're listening to this. You need the version of you who can show up and give the speech at work on Tuesday. You yeah. need the version of you who can be calm with your children. You need that. How do you build it? We've sort of danced around a bunch of different angles of attack for this. So to give people the steps or the kind of natural process, always start with one role, okay. one, one area of your life where you're either really frustrated with it or, and this can't be lost in the conversation, Rachel, is the one thing that makes the alter ego the method and the concept so powerful is that there's an attitude of playfulness that's there because you're tapping into something that we did naturally as kids because we have no sense of me and myself and identity until about the age of eight. And so we're actually caught, if anyone knows about brainwave states, there's beta, alpha, theta, and then delta. And children between the ages of six months to seven and a half roughly years of age pretty much are mostly operating in the theta brainwave state. And that's where the creative expression is most unified together. So it's very creative thinking. And that's why it's natural for all of us to play with this idea of using an alter ego when we're kids, you know, being our favorite superhero or, you know, playing restaurant and I'm the chef or, you know, playing house or whatever it is, because there's no me anyway. There's just a bunch of traits that I got, a bunch of emotion that's coming out of me all the time. So I say that because the fun part about this for me is like seeing people kind of come alive and having more fun with how they show up in the world. It frees them up. And so there's playfulness that's there. So going back to it, step one, find a role, an identity, a self, a field of play, like some place for you that you want to make change happen. You might be really frustrated with the way that you're showing up or not showing up. You're not pursuing something like you want to. Okay, so that's step number one. Who is that? Or, uh, what is that role? So if it is the person doing the presentation. <laughs> HR manager. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> if it's the operations person of yeah. the business. If it's mom, if it's dad or whatever. Second, and by the way, that could be because there's a big transition that's happening. You're going from manager to leader. You're getting promoted. Transition points in life are where there's a lot of breakage that happens for people. Right? I got three kids. I love all these kids. <laughs> but pushing them together as we're moving outside the door of the home. Yep is a recipe for combustible action, Right. <laughs> okay? That's a transition point. If we can manage our transition points really, really well, we can actually mitigate a whole lot of stress in our lives. 
that's why alter ego works so well because it helps people transition into new identities more quickly. So what's a role? That's step number one. Step number two, what are the characteristics or the traits that you're showing up with that are causing you to get in the way of how you want to be? What's the thing you want to be doing? What's the success that you want? Well, the most personal story for me is when I started this thing in 1997, yeah, I was good at coaching, but every night I would go to bed going, you know what, I'm going to make these phone calls. I'm going to try and get a speaking gig here and, you know, talk to this soccer association over here and stuff. And for me now, it sounds so laughable because it would, it's nothing for me to call up a right. soccer association. Right. And then what would happen? I'd put my head on the pillow the very next day and it wasn't smiling. <laughs> I was beating myself up because I never took those actions because I was worried about someone saying no and the fear of rejection and, oh my gosh, Todd, you're 22 now and you look like you're 12 for crying out loud and you don't have four best-selling books and you don't have six degrees and, you know, 14 letters behind your name and you're talking about mental toughness. Like, don't you have to be a sports psychologist or don't you have to have four best-selling books on the Wall Street Journal New York Times list in order for you to be on a stage talking about these things? Again, we build rules about who we have to be before we can take our action. Fundamentally, most people are walking around waiting for someone with the sword to come and touch us on one shoulder and bring it to the other side and say, you are now knighted. Yes. And you can now go and do the thing. If you're waiting for that, you're going to be sitting there for a long time Yeah. because it won't happen. So what are you frustrated with? For me, it was, I was very indecisive. I was so insecure about how young I looked and my qualifications maybe. And I was not very articulate <laughs> with telling people what it was that I did for a living or how I could help people, which then gets us to the third thing. So now I've identified the things that are getting in the way for how I'm showing up, kind of at the root cause. Well, I'll just take the flip of those things. Now we're getting into the like, step number three is, well, how do you want to be showing up? And there's a three A and a three B to this. We can go in it from one angle of, well, I want to be more con confident, decisive, and articulate. Or we can go at it through the angle of, well, who am I inspired by? And what is it about them that I'm inspired by? Well, I want to be more like Rachel Hollis because she's sort of unapologetic. I want to be more, a little bit more unapologetic. Like this is, this is who I am right now or whatever those traits are, okay? So for me, going back to myself, confident, decisive, and articulate, I already knew immediately who I wanted to be, be more like, who are my sources of inspiration. The confidence, Benjamin Franklin. I read his biography so many times and I like the man reinvented himself so many times. He had so many careers in his lifetime, the confidence to be able to do that. Plus he was one of the great purveyors of alter egos, you know, with the uh, avatar that he wrote through as a teenager. Silence too good. Silence yeah. too good, right? I've seen National Treasure many times. <laughs> So, oh, what a great movie. What a great movie. It is not appreciated <laughs> enough. It is so, so my good. kids and I, like, once a month, we'll be like, should we watch National I Treasure haven't again? watched it with my kids yet. Oh, We're 100%. Oh, it's so fun. Yes. Yeah. Okay, thanks good family, for that. Family yeah. caper. Silence, do good. <laughs> so, confidence was Benjamin Franklin. And then being decisive, well, it was Superman, Man of Action, 1970s version, right? And then articulate, I watched the A&E or PBS special from Bill Moyers about Joseph Campbell. And he wrote, you know, The Power of Myth, The Hero's Journey, like yeah. famous. 
mythologist and he was just so articulate in the way he had it with words. I wanted those three. So th that became my source code of inspiration for how I wanted to show up. In the world. I want to be more like Benjamin Franklin, Superman, and Joseph Campbell. Then we get into, okay, now how do we make this real? Okay, so that's nice, Todd. How do we, how do we make this real? In the book, I talk about the importance of understanding enclosed cognition. So it's a psychological phenomenon that exists in every human being where we tell stories about the articles of clothing that other people wear and what they mean. Mm -hmm. And because of that, when you put on that thing, you will actually embrace the cognitive traits and abilities of the article of clothing naturally. You don't have to convince yourself. So the example is the Kellogg School of Management did this study with a bunch of college students, brought them into a room, and they gave them the Stroop test. Okay? The Stroop test is, it's for like uh, sight, and it is when you have the word of a color, but the color is different than the word. Yes. So the word is green, but it's done in blue. Yes. And your job is to state the color that you see, not the word. And because we as human beings, we always process words before we see colors, it's kind of, it's challenging. Yes. So there's all these words on there and they get them to do the Stroop test and then they track the results and they bring in another group of uh, students and this time they get them to put on a white painter's coat. That's what they tell them. Hey, we've got a painter's coat for you. Put on the white painter's coat. So they put it on, they do the Stroop test, track the results. And then they bring in the third group. The third group, they give them a the same white coat, but they tell them it's a doctor's coat. Then they do the test, track the results. Well, what's the difference? The people who were wearing the doctor's coat did it in less than half the time and, did it, and made it less than half the mistakes. Why? Enclosed cognition tells us why. Yep. It's because they, they enclosed their mind in the cognitive traits of someone who's a doctor. Careful, methodical, detailed. In order for you to do the Stroop test well, you need to be careful, methodical, and detailed. So when your articles of clothing map to the performance or the way that you want to show up, it helps to align, even going back 26 years ago, the triune human being, mentally, emotionally, physically. Yeah. So step number four, have a totem, have an artifact, have an article of clothing that you wear that helps you get into that. So it creates a ritual for you, that's one thing. People talk about habits and routines all the time now. And there's great books on habits and great books on routines. But at the peak level, the people that I work with, we talk about rituals. And rituals are lost nowadays. They used to be very important parts of the process of becoming a woman. Like in yep. tribal days, there was yep. this ceremony that would happen that signified the end of childhood and becoming a woman. The end of childhood and becoming a man yep. now, right? And you built up to that. And then you came out of that a very different human being. And rituals are, you could have two people doing the exact same thing. That's why studying behavior isn't enough because you can do the thing and I can do the thing. But damn it, Rachel gets 4.2 million more likes on her posts than I get on mine. Mm -hmm. We said the same thing. Yeah. Behaviorally, we could be doing the same thing, but there's a way that we do it. And the way is a little bit of the magic of life. Now, I built a science-based peak performance company. But after doing all of that, I also know that there's a little bit of magic in life that can't be explained as to why human beings get certain results and other people don't. Yeah. So what we're doing now is we're bringing intentionality to this state change to when I become super Richard, which was another part of this process of giving that alter ego, that identity a name. And super Richard was simply 
me taking, my first name is Richard. I was always, I always went by Todd and I was like, well, Todd just sounds like more of a teenage name and Richard just sounds like more of a business name. So yeah. I'm going to be Richard now. And Super was just taking it from Superman. And Superman put on the glasses to become Clark Kent, the mild-mannered version of himself. Yes. Wait, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but that line in the book where you say, you ask which one? Who's the alter ego, Superman or Clark Kent? That messed my shit up. Yeah. That, we, it's, I don't, I'm sorry that I'm freaking out so badly, but I totally forgot about that until just this moment. Yeah. You said you ask that to audiences a lot. All the time. Which one's the alter ego? And everyone's like, Superman. Yeah. And he, and you're like, no, no Clark Kent. Clark Kent is the alter ego. Yeah. What? That yeah. is, that was so freaking powerful because it's like, I love this idea that we already are these powerful, magnificent beings. That's my But own he needed point. something to like help him to fit into certain parts of society yeah. who couldn't handle him in all of his glory. Holy crap. Yeah. That's so good. Yeah. And and that's and that's kind of my preface to most people is you're kind of walking around with an alter ego already. And it's the mild mannered version of yourself yes. so that you don't upset apple carts of other people's shit. Yes. And and we need to take off the glasses. And well, in my case, I needed to put them put on. Put them on. And I think it's worth saying, because there are so many women who listen to this and because I know these women, I've been in, yeah. in community with them for over a decade, this is why it's so important for you to feel comfortable to dress the way you believe mm. you are. Yeah. I actually just did a podcast about this this week, is that... I know it seems silly, but I, I freaking love acrylic nails. I love it. I do. It's so like, it, there's yeah. all these reasons, but my whole life I loved it, but I always thought that's not for someone like me. Mm -hmm. And in 2019, I decide, screw it. I'm getting these acrylic nails that I think are so beautiful. I love them so much. And the whole time I kept thinking like, people aren't gonna like this, this is not the brand, this is what it is. It's also a reason why I always had long hair that was curly and whatever. I felt like I had to live into someone else's aesthetic yeah. of who I was. And then COVID happened and like life went to hell in a handbasket. And it's only in the last six months that I'm like, oh, all those, all those choices that you made to show up authentically as yourself, to have nails, to wear all the rings, to cut your hair, You've gone backwards. I swear to God, reading your book, like I'm like, oh shit, you lost all of these things that were you trying to like show up as who you think you are, like who you want to be. Yeah. It's so important that you're able to look in the mirror and see a reflection of like who you're becoming. Yeah. Not who you used to be 10 years ago. Yeah. So a week ago, Todd, I put my nails back on. A week ago, two days ago, I cut my hair off. And I, it seems silly, but I know that listeners are going to get this, that like there are so many women, I know guys do it too, but there are so many women who are making decisions about personal style based on family members' expectations, yeah. conservative you know, choices of their church community, what their brand is, what they think. And so every day you're showing up as the trapped version of you. 100%. And even if you start with something small, just one little thing that you're like, it's yeah. the totem, right? Yeah. Not not one little thing, but um, you're talking about the totem. Yours is your glasses. Mine is my watch. Yeah. So I wanted a Rolex forever because- oh, Rachel, I want a Rolex too. Okay, great. <laughs> because 
all the guys that I admire in business all have a fat Rolex. And I didn't just want a Rolex. I wanted a men's Rolex. Yeah. Because I was like, I can wear that too. And I think men's watches on women are awesome. Yeah. So I wanted it forever and ever and finally got to a place where I could afford one. And I called my accountant. I'm like, can I do this? And she's like, yes, you can. And I bought the Rolex. And that putting this watch on is the mogul. Mm-hmm. It is, and I feel like kind of embarrassed even saying that, but in, if I put this watch on, it's that version of myself who's meant to show up today. Yeah. So on a podcast recording, if I'm going on a flight anywhere, I'm wearing, cause like yeah. that's who's like gonna do work and be the business person yeah. and like, that's my totem. Yeah, and your totem doesn't have to be this douchey, <laughs> but you need something. Don't judge it. Don't judge <laughs> it. Own, own it. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't care the fact that people find out that I wear non-prescription glasses. Yeah. Now it's now it's really just a part of the brand and like yeah. how Todd shows up yeah. kind of thing. And and again, I'm in good company to when I shared on stage in 2004 in San Antonio, Texas at a leadership event. It was for basically how to lead millennials in the kind of new era. And uh, But I talked about on stage this alter ego that I had, you know, my insecurities. And I'm like, hey, don't forget, like people are coming into your worlds and, you know, they might have insecurities about where they might fit in. And But anyways, I shared it like my alter ego, Super Richard. And uh, this lady came up to me afterwards and she said, oh my God, I love your talk. But specifically, I love that you had an alter, you have an alter ego and you went and bought a, bought a pair of non-prescription glasses to like embody the character. Yeah. Because Martin did the exact same thing. And I was like, I looked down at her name tag and it was Coretta Scott King, Martin Luther King's wife. <laughs> So I'm no like, big deal. tell me more yeah. about that, Coretta. And she's like, yeah, a lot of people don't know this, but um, Martin would put on a pair of non-prescription glasses to step into what he called his distinguished self, mm. to write the things he needed to say, and he didn't want his ego to get in the way of what was such an important mission to lead people to nine nonviolent action. Again, like it's burned into my memory because I'm like, this is a moment. Yeah. Like out of body. Yeah. Talking to Coretta Scott King about MLK. He stepped into his distinguished self and his distinguished self was there to channel. For him, it was like a divine type thing. So that when he went out on stage and he didn't have the glasses on, he only wore them when he wrote, he could deliver the message Mm. that needed to be said. And I shared that with uh, George Raveling. George Raveling was the basketball player who was standing behind Martin Luther King when he delivered the I Have a Dream speech. And if you know anything about that speech, the I Have a Dream part, wasn't it's, a part of the it's speech. It's not a part of the speech. He ad libbed. Yep. And yep. the reason was because I forget the lady's name who was there. Oh, wait, Be- I don't. I've given this, in, I've given a speech about this a million times. It's uh, she, Mahalia Jackson. Yes. Mahalia Jackson. He's doing this big talk. The crowd's not really feeling it. And she says, she says Tell him about the dream. Martin. Tell him about the dream, Martin. Tell him yeah. about the dream. And so he turns back around and does the I have a dream part. And then when he gets done, he hands the speech to George. And George had it tucked away in a book for 30 years, forgetting that he even had it. And so he's got it insured for like $5 million. And George is like, um, he's actually famous in the movie Air. The, the movie right, I was Nike. like, I've seen yeah, so, this guy somewhere. Yeah, 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 so he's, okay. you know, yes. dream team. Like right. he's huge in the NBA, Villanova and stuff. Right. I remember when I told George about the fake glasses, he's like, no, he didn't. He never wore glasses. I'm like, no, you never saw him wear glasses. But when he did his 
speeches, when he wrote his speeches, he always used his alter ego to write his speeches. Wow. So I say that because there's an intentionality behind that. And there's no, you know, I don't care that people know that these are non-prescription. I just like wearing them now. But yeah. I went and got a pair of glasses back in 97 when wearing glasses wasn't cool. Everyone was getting LASIK eye surgery. Even the optometrist at the Lens Crafters in West Edmonton Mall said to me, but you don't need glasses. I'm like, can you sell me some freaking Yeah, just give me glasses. <laughs> and that's what I did. I would, I would now, now going back to the steps, right? So we identified the role. So my role was I wasn't selling. I wasn't promoting my business, okay? So I needed a promoter. I needed someone to grow this damn thing. And I, what? well, why wasn't I? What was getting in the way? I was insecure. I lacked confidence. I wasn't being decisive. I wasn't being articulate. And so, well, I want to be articulate and confident and decisive. Great. Who models that for me? Who are my inspirations? Who are my mental models? Who are my heroes? Joseph Campbell, Benjamin Franklin, Superman. So that's who I'm going to bring into this thing now. That's who I'm going to show up with. Now I'm getting into, well, what's my name and what's my totem? Step number four. Well, my name is Super Richard. When I step into that, I'm Super Richard. And again, people can laugh about this or whatever. But again, these are personal ways that we navigate the hard things about life. This is your inner game. I built the Black Mamba with Kobe in 2004. He never revealed it to the world until 2009 when he won the NBA championships. People forget that part. He didn't come out a week after we'd built it and said, I'm the Black Mamba now. Right. No, that's not how it worked. Right. He lived with it and communed with it for five years and he mastered that self. And then he built it into, uh, I'm not claiming the brand. Right. My God, like what he went and took with it and did with it is truly Kobe. But this is, this is our own inner world. We all have these little different ways that we kind of navigate. We do things in our funny way and you've got your acrylic nails and I place no judgment on that. You've got your thing. You got your magic. You've got your men's Rolex watch. Yeah. Uh, who cares? Yeah. But now when I put on those glasses, now I'm going to practice my identity. And this is where yeah. people have lost the idea that who you are now, you've practiced. Every day you collapse your identity into the same form. You do the same habits. I'm helping you to break it right now. I want you to practice changing into this state. So when I put on those glasses, even now to this day, the feeling of that arm going by the side of my head just switched. It flicks the switch. And that it, me being confident and decisive and articulate, that's such a natural way that I operate now. But I practice those things. Well, what are my, what are my traits? What are my attributes when I am Super Richard? I tell people now that I'm a, I'm a see something, say something person. It really helps in coaching. Like when I see a shift in you, I'm like, well, what just happened right now, Rachel? You just said something, but there was a shift that happened. Like you straightened up a little bit. What, what was it about that moment right there? And you're like, and oftentimes it's great conversations. You're like, oh, you noticed that? And you're like, yeah, there's, there's something that, there was a resonance that was there. There was a story. There was something, there was an emotion that just happened within you. Tell me about that. Like, what was that? And what I'm trying to do as the coach is I'm trying to bring you back into that thing. So it's, it's, it's a stated known, yeah. like that's within you. Yeah. And I'm trying to make it so you can trust it. Because someone who's highly skilled, because I've taken behavioral and body language training and stuff, like I can see things in other people that, you know, the average person would just, you know, gloss over. But I'm trying to change state with people. So what are the habits? What are the attributes? What are the traits? How does Super Richard talk to people? And the reason that's important for me is because the moment I'm thinking out of alignment with Super Richard, I cannot wear these glasses. You cannot put on the cape. You cannot dishonor the memory of the people that you were inspired by in that moment. Benjamin wouldn't think that way. Joseph wouldn't say that. Superman would not take the action. 
So you got to take that off. You can't wear that cape. You can't. So for me, like one of the more powerful parts of toteming and artifacting with people is, is there a, a ritual and something that you could do to like break yourself out of the state? And, and I mean, I wouldn't name names because I, I never share who I work with unless they publicly share that they worked with me. That's mm -hmm. a part of the magic of how I grew into becoming so huge in the pro sports world is because I was the one guy who never traded on people's names right. until, you know, Kobe would have mentioned me or yeah. Cristiano mentioned me in Portugal or Rafa as well in Spain. But I can see it happening with my athletes or with, you know, friends or clients on stage that when they're doing their speeches, when they feel like they're falling out of alignment, there's something that they'll do that I'll coach them on. Like, no, there's like, if you feel like you're getting too heady with the audience because they're not feeling you or whatever, don't engage with that because that's the enemy trying to convince you that you're not the thing. So the moment that I'm feeling myself not about to ask for the sale, those glasses have to come off. I'll take them off. Yeah, and then I'll just reset. I'm like, you know what, Rachel? <laughs> After the conversation, it's. <laughs> I think it's obvious to me that we're a good fit. Yeah. Because I want to bring... I love confrontation. Yeah. Because for me, confrontation is very different for, than, than yeah. you. Confrontation is the opportunity for something new to be born. There's a new conversation. Because if I never ask for the sale, there's no it's new. It's always no. It's <laughs> always no. Yeah. So like, you know what, Rachel? I don't think we need to go any further. Like this happens a lot. Like I'm seven minutes into like, if, you, if we were having a call and you were like, like, hey, are we a right fit? Like right. I wanted to, and I'll be like, Rachel, your challenges, that's Cheerios to me. It's one yeah. of my classic lines. Yeah. I eat those problems for like Cheerios for breakfast. Yeah. I've been eating them for 26 years now. Yeah. I think we're a perfect fit. Yeah. And then it's so crazy because now, because I do have platform and I do have, you know, you know, context or whatever, 90% of people say like, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Like, I mean, just because your call was booked for an hour doesn't mean you got to use up all that right, time. Right, right. So, okay, going back to it. So step four was like, okay, what's the... What's the totem, the artifact, the uniform that you're going to wear for that identity? And what's its name? And then step five is how are we going to bring this thing into the world? Like, how, again, going to the traits and the attributes. And we got to practice that. We got to practice that. Because this is so important for you. Like, you want to be such a great mom or I want to be such a great dad to my kids. I'm a challenger personality type when I'm coaching people. That is the identity that I've built because I'm working with such high level people yeah, with a lot of times yeah. huge egos too. Yeah, And for me, the visual that I have in my mind is no, I'm like the prudential rock and you're going to crash your ship on my rock. Mm. I need to break your ego. And that's highly resonant to those people because they typically have yes people around them. Yes. People who will never challenge them. Absolutely. And I will, like I won't put up with any of the shit. Yeah. But is that who I am? Is that really who I am? I can make myself believe that because I flex the muscle for 8, 10, 12, 14 hours a day sometimes coaching people since 1997. And I developed that persona because it works for that field, for those participants on the field. Now, if I was working with people who are like new to things, like there's a different persona I Absolutely. need to bring to them. Yep. Right? And I understand that and I can still do that too. So I'm mindful of who's on that field, right? Are they juniors just starting out? Because there's a little bit more of a caretaking. But if you're a veteran, there's a different way I need to show up. Yeah. But do my kids want to challenge your personality type? Yeah. That is a, <laughs> I'm going to be the ship breaking on that rock exactly. because kids are different. So my inspiration for how I want to show up for my kids is Mr. Rogers and my dad. 
And Mr. Rogers couldn't be more different than a personality or a challenger personality type, right? But I want to be kind and caring and patient and funny. And I have a little bracelet that sits on a hook outside of my office. And when I'm changing roles and I'm going back into the home because my office is outside the home, I, I never wear my glasses around my kids. And I put on that bracelet and I snap it. And, I, and I'm very intentional about the ritual of changing my roles, my so most important smart. roles. These kids are the most important thing I'll ever do in my life. Mm-hmm. My book, yep, great. Want to get as many hands as I can. Those kids are never going to be more important than, than that. Or that book would never be more important than those kids. And I put that on. And when I snap it, I imagine, boom, boom, Mr. Rogers and my dad walking behind me, looking over my shoulder, observing me, because I'm the one who said how I want to show up to my kids. And I look at Mr. Rogers and I see and I watch, because I grew up watching him. I don't need to invent my love for that, right? And that's a key part of that process of us finding our, you know, our mentors and heroes within that we use. It's only choose things that are resonant to you. Don't use mine. I can't sell you an alter ego off of a shelf. Yeah. You know, we're all inspired by different things. We have all come from different backgrounds. I am honoring them in the way that they would show up. And it's that honor code idea that I found. That's why my method is different than just grabbing an alter ego. It's the it's that method because we as human beings, we love to honor things. We love to honor where we came from or we love to honor the idea of someone and something else. Well, I'm just leveraging that then and helping you build something that's new for you. And right. so that's who follows me when I'm with my kids. And it, does that mean that I'm perfect all the time? No, but if I'm 20% better, that 20% means a lot to a little kid. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's so good. Yeah. Todd, uh, we've talked for two hours. Shut it. No, we've (laughs) talked for two hours. And I still have about a thousand questions for you. We can have a round two then. Let's have a round two. (laughs) Speaking of kids, I have to go to a middle schooler's orientation at 1.30. So uh, sadly, I was like, keep going. Yeah. This has been incredible. This has been incredible for me. I just like stole a personal coaching session, but also... I know that so many things we talked about today are going to really resonate with the audience. So mm-hmm. when they go to grab the book, go follow you on social, all those things, because I know that they will, yeah. where are they going? Where can they find the goods? Like, Yeah, so toddherman.me is my home base on the interwebs, and people can get links out to the different other ventures that I have, links to the Alter Ego website or you know my other stuff. And then Todd underscore Herman on Instagram, on Twitter, uh, you'll be able to find me there. And my favorite thing is when people, whether you take a screenshot of the podcast episode or you know take a photo of your computer listening to the uh, the YouTube video and just tag, look, what's your favorite takeaway or what's a question for me? And I truly like want people to ask me questions because that's the stuff that allows me to like create more nuanced content for people to answer those things for people. And it'll show up in a story and I'll tag you back and saying, like, hey, here's yeah. the answer to that question yeah. from you. So please reach out. Cool. Todd, thank you so much for the time. Seriously, this was a long time coming and I'm so happy that it finally did happen. Yeah. The Rachel Hollis podcast is produced by me, Rachel Hollis. It's edited by Andrew Weller and Jack Noble.
It's your time. Join global thought leader, executive producer, and New York Times bestselling author T.D. Jakes and today's leading culture shifters for an experience unlike any other. At the 2024 International Leadership Summit, spiritual and business leaders can gain the practical tools they need to maximize their timing for success. With world-class discussions, breakout sessions, and networking opportunities, this is where your dreams turn into reality. Timing is everything, and your time is now. March 21st through 23rd in Dallas, Texas. Register today at thisisils.org. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Look, we're all super busy. We have so many things filling up our plate each and every day. And I like to imagine what it would be like if I had an extra hour. Like, what would I do? I like to think that I would be my absolute best self and I would meditate and make sure I'm journaling more. I would do my morning pages. I would really take advantage of that time. But in order to know what to do with your time, you have to understand what your priorities are. And therapy can be a really fantastic way to figure that out. Therapy can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, and it's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist. You can also switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Rach to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash rage. 